Through the dark 
Bye. 
line that just really jumped out at me in that song this morning was, the King of Kings calls me his own. And that's what Tony's preaching on today is he's going to be talking about how we're children of God. And I think that sentence is super easy to just forget the weight of. But the King of Kings calls us his own and he allows us to be in his family. He calls us his children. So let's just reflect on that this morning as we sing.
speak this morning, Lord. I think that, thank you that you've called us your own, our, your own, God, and that you have brought us into your family. And I just pray that we'd never forget that, Lord, and that you just open our eyes and our hearts to hear the message that you have for us today about our identity in you. And in your name I pray, amen. Hey, everybody, good morning. I'm super excited to see uh, Packed Church. I basically have one announcement for you guys today. It looks a little bit different in here, as you can tell. In the back, we have a bunch of tables set up, so that way you guys can see different opportunities, different things that all these amazing volunteers and staff are doing all across North Tahoe for representing Cornerstone, representing Christ's Holy Spirit, representing Jesus in this community. So. I encourage you guys to stop by every booth, see what you, what's going on in our community. There's opportunities to volunteer, basically at every booth. And uh, also, last week we had our all-church meeting, and we kind of just gave a run-through of some of the stuff we do. Well, this is a bit more of like an intimate conversation where we get to sit, sit you guys down, or not sit down, but there's, there's a sign-up sheet at mine, and you guys get to see everything I do throughout the week. And I've looked at a lot of the other ones, and it's incredible the needs that we have, and it's incredible the things that we do. I work here, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I didn't know half the stuff. It's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited that you guys are here and part of this church, and I want to bring up Tim Lampy um, to invite you guys to take part in one thing. Good morning, everyone. Um, great to see you guys. <laughs> um, two things, real briefly. Uh, number one... I just want to thank all of you for the heartfelt prayers, the notes, um, the things for my daughter, Maddie. Uh, she's doing good. She's, she's <laughs> getting there. Um, real briefly, she was released uh, from a five-week hospital stay last week, last Monday. Um, and with that, she was uh, transferred into a hospital-level care, but in a residential setting. And she'll be there for... A month or more. Hmm. Um, I just want to let you know that she wants to get better. Your prayers have changed things in our family. I want to thank you that, for that. Um, the other reason I'm speaking is it's a short-term need. Um, Awaken is alive and well and our support to them continues and because um, the missions team is out of country right now. I've been asked to come up and, and ask, I have a need. I need 10 people to bring their picture pass to Diamond Peak next Friday at 9 o'clock. It's an appointment and a need. We want to get the Awaken clients uh, up on the hill skiing this coming Friday. And so just see me at the back of the room for details. But if you have the time to come up to Diamond Peak, uh, bring your picture pass, that's all you need to do, and we'll take it from there, and I'll, and I'll be signing you up at the back of the room. So thank you for that blessing. Hey, so I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to bring up Tony with a little bit of a shorter sermon today, so you guys can visit the booths. <clears throat> Dear God, I just, I just want to lift up to you the miracles that you do in this community, God. The miracles with the families in this church. I want to thank you for tending to the souls of the people in this church and that, that they're here today. And I pray that your spirit shows up in Tony's words 
and then your spirit shows up in the back tables. And throughout the whole year and the things that this church does for the community, God, I thank you so much for your spirit's involvement in our life. And God, we serve a most powerful, gracious, and loving God. And I lift that up to you, God, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Today has been weird. I've had technical difficulties on my iPad, and it just freaked out on me again down here, so I'm freaking out. I think I got it fixed, though. If you want to really mess with me, make a technical difficulty that's beyond a third grade level, and I am lost. God, just guide us this morning in your word, and we thank you so much. And we love you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, get my head back in the game. So I want you to think right now how you think of yourself. When you think of yourself as your walk with God, as your position before God, how would you define yourself? I heard this thing on the radio this last week, and it disturbed me. But I couldn't put my finger on it until I was doing this sermon prep for this. And then it kind of came together why it disturbed me. Here's, here's what it said. It was a Christian radio station, and it said something along the lines of, like, this isn't a direct quote, but this is kind of the point is that um, God doesn't care how many times you fall down in sin as long as you get back up. I thought, ridiculous. God cares very much. You see, what happened is we've reduced our salvation down to a, a, a primarily salvation is about forgiveness. When salvation is about not just the, the deliverance from the penalty of sin, but the deliverance from the power of sin also. And it ultimately would be deliverance from the, the presence of sin at the resurrection. And so we have to broaden our thinking of what salvation is. And today I want to do that. That if you primarily think of yourselves as, I'm forgiven, but I'm a, I fail a lot. I'm forgiven, but I'm defeated a lot. I'm forgiven, but I'm passive in my faith. I'm so glad God forgives me. You're missing part of the story. You're missing part of the gospel. Part of the gospel is, yes, you're forgiven because of what Christ has done on the cross for you. But the Spirit of God lives in you and empowers you, has changed your identity to a child of God and empowers you to live a life that honors Him. So that's where we're going today. So last week we were in Romans chapter 8. We still are. We'll be there for a couple more weeks. Let me get there. And we talked last week about there's two realms of existence. Either you, you either exist in the flesh or in the spirit. It's one or the other. Either your mind is on the flesh or your mind is on the spirit. And we talked about mind, not necessarily your thoughts, because during the day my thoughts will go back and forth. But the idea was a mindset. Where do I exist? Where do I live? Do I live in the flesh? The result of that is death. Do I live in the spirit, which is life and peace? And so that's what we concluded last week. So today, it goes on in verse 14. It talks about being led by the Spirit. And says, you know, and so I want to ask, what does being led by the Spirit look like? Verse 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And sometimes when we get this idea of being led by the Spirit, we, we turn it into a, a personal experience. Each day, I, I go approach my day, and I wait for the Spirit to lead me throughout my day who I talk to, where I go, or bigger decisions in life I have the Spirit lead me, and where do I go to college, or where do I work, where do I go to church? And those are all true statements. I mean, the Spirit does guide you in your life. But Paul uses the phrase led by the Spirit to mean something different. In fact, I discovered this week the phrase led by the Spirit only occurs three times in the Bible. Once in Matthew chapter 4 where the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. 
The other two times are in Paul, one in Romans, one in Galatians. And it has a different connotation than what we, how we usually use it. So let me read to you. I'm going to jump back to verse 12, Romans 8, 12, and talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So here Paul is using the phrase led by the Spirit as those who have been empowered by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So if you're Spirit-led in this sense, you're someone who understands who you are as a child of God. And you understand through the power of the Spirit, I put to death the deeds of the flesh. That which, which God came to save me from is no longer my master, the deeds of the flesh. I now am led by the Spirit to put those to death. I mean, it's a very, very important concept. It's not referring to that daily leading, but don't get me wrong, the Spirit daily guides you. That's not what Paul's talking about. Referring to the victory we have in the battle with sin. Paul uses the exact same phrase in Galatians. So what I want to do, just to support this, I want to read to you Galatians 5, 16 to 23. It's a long passage. But this passage, Paul really fleshes out what he means by led in the Spirit. So you grasp who you are and what is supposed to flow from you if you're a Christian. What's supposed to flow from you if you are Spirit-led. So Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Remember, being under the law is to be someone who is condemned. But Christ has fulfilled the law for us, and we were in Christ. We saw this last week. We were in Christ when he fulfilled the law. So what have we done? We have fulfilled the law. All the righteous requirements of the law have been filled in us because Christ fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law, and we're in Christ. So according to chapter 8, 3, and 4, we have fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law, so it's no longer our master. We are, the Spirit is. So if you are led by the Spirit, you're not, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. So to think about these. I know some of us lived in these. Idolatry. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. It's, it's getting a long list here. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is talking about an identity. I'm going to keep reading in a moment. This is talking about an identity. Because I bet everyone in this room has said, you know what, since I've come to faith in Jesus, I have committed some of these. But it's talking about, are you living in the flesh? Is it your mindset, the flesh, characterized by this? Or is your mindset, living in the spirit, your life characterized by what comes up next? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or as I have it memorized, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So there's two categories here. Paul in Galatians and Paul in Romans chapter 8. You either live in the flesh, which results in death, 
or you were alive in the Spirit. And being led by the Spirit, we then put to death the deeds of the body. It's the power we have. So a very important concept. And, and so here's what I need for, to you understand. Uh, help, help understand this. Our salvation is one, a relationship with the living God. Okay? That we enter into a relationship, and we're going to look at that in a minute, as being a child of God by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So we have this relationship that's a growing relationship. It's just not a set of beliefs we have, a doctrinal statement that say, yes, that's what I believe, that's cold and lifeless. This is a relationship with the living God. The second thing is our, rela- our salvation. I've been talking about this for, since before Romans. But, so we started Romans in July, you guys. Um, before that, I did a series on what is salvation. We talked about salvation is a journey. The sense of salvation is a past event. I got saved. Salvation is a current thing. I'm being saved. And salvation is a future thing. I will be saved at the resurrection. That's next week's message. But what you understand here is I'm being saved right now is the idea the Spirit of God lives in me. He has changed my identity. I now have the power to do what honors him. I am not defeated. I live in victory. That's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. So if you wake up in the morning and there tends to be this defeatist attitude, oh, I can't do this today, it's too hard. You need to get a new understanding, You're reminded of who you are and what God has done in you and what it is to have the Spirit in you. This is so important. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2 and 3 this afternoon. If you, want, if you want to read your Bible this afternoon, that's a terrible way to say it. If you choose to read in your Bible this afternoon, here's what I suggest you read. And that is Revelation 2 and 3. Seven letters to the churches. Jesus addresses seven churches of Asia Minor, what we call Turkey. In every one of them, he ends this way. You are overcomers. Or rather, those, to those who overcome... I will give this reward. You see that this is an act of faith by which we have been enabled to overcome the battle with sin. So if we choose a pacifist or we choose and we are defeated, we're not going to be overcomers. We're always going to be going, God, it doesn't matter how many times I fall down, I'm just glad you forgive me. Well, folks, when you fall down in sin, does God forgive you? A little more confidence in that. When you fall down in sin, does God forgive you? But does it have to characterize your daily life? No. That's the good news of the gospel. So, with that, second point, the Spirit secures and testifies to our adoption into the family of God. The Spirit secures our adoption and he testifies to us. Look at Romans 5, 8, 15, and 16. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So the first phrase that says you are sons. And understand this, ladies, that in the Roman Empire, it was very unusual for a woman to be adopted as an heir. You see, uh, uh, someone, a, a rich person or, or, or a leader, if he didn't have a child, a male heir, they would adopt a male to carry on the name. So this is the culture. So Paul's addressing a culture. If you notice in the next verse, it changed it from sons to children. So because Paul's going to talk about you being an heir, we were all sons of God because we're all heirs. But in our culture, that's not the way we live. It's not just boys that are adopted to be heirs, but girls are too. So Understand the culture to which it's written and we apply it to ours. This is an incredible truth. 
the progression of our identity in Romans. I want you to get this. This just said you are adopted as a child of God. But where does Romans start? Romans starts in chapter 1, verse 18, that says the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So Romans 1 starts our identity is we're under the wrath of God. It progresses from there to the end in the middle of chapter 3 where it says that no one does good, not even one. There are none righteous. And so we go from the wrath of God is on us because by God's standard of good, we don't ever do it. And none is righteous, not even one. We get to chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. It describes us as ungodly, sinners, and verse 10 is a crescendo of this really horrible description of you and I before Jesus. You are an enemy of God. That is who we were outside of Christ. But then all of a sudden there's a shift in the book of Romans to now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer an enemy. Why? Because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for you. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law for you. And you were in Christ, so you fulfilled the law. You were in Christ, so you died to sin. You were buried, you were raised from the dead, and you ascended to the right hand of God where you sit now with Jesus Christ in some incredibly mystical but true, real, literal way. You are at God's right hand right now as his child. That is the shift from condemnation and enemy to a child of God. Unbelievable. And we have his spirit in us that enables us to obey. And this is the spirit of adoption. We are now children of God. And look what it says there at the end of 15. By which we cry, Abba, Father. Why, why Abba, by the way, the New Testament is written in Greek. All right? Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. Not probably, he did. Paul spoke Aramaic and Greek. So when Paul's writing this, he chooses not just to give his um, listeners an a, a Aramaic lesson. Abba, father. He uses the Aramaic word and the Greek word for father. They both mean the same thing. One's Aramaic, one Greek. Why is he doing this? And I'll, I'll come back to this in a minute. But the word Abba, father, that phrase, Abba, father, only occurs three times in the Bible also. Paul uses it in Galatians in the chapter we just read. Paul uses it here in Romans, but the first time it's used in our Bible is by Jesus. I believe it's the Gospel of Mark when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is, it, says, it says in the verse before, it says, he tells his disciples, I am in anguish. I am distressed to the point of death. Would you pray for me? So he describes his anxiety of facing the cross and what's gonna happen there with the sins of the world being put on him. Will you pray for me, he asked his disciples. Then he goes a little bit away from them and falls down and says, Abba, Father, is there any other way? So I'm gonna come back to this Abba, Father in a moment, why we call him Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment, it's a term of very close relationship. If Jesus would address his father that way, we too address his father and our father. We'll come back to it. The third point 
as adopted children, we have a priceless inheritance. Verse 17. And if we are children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So most of the people in this room understand what it means to be an heir. I.e., you get an inheritance. How many of you have already received your inheritance? I, this is a, I, the, what's behind this question is how many of you's parents have passed and the inheritance has come to you. Mine has too. And I remember I, I, remember I was teaching this passage in, in the First Peter passage at, at Grace Church, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago. And I asked them, I asked people this question. How many of you think about spending your inheritance? And let's be honest, you know, there's, there's an inheritance coming someday to, to most people. You think, well, gosh, I don't want my parents to die, but what's going to happen when I get that inheritance? How much will I get? What can I spend it on? The mind goes there. And I know that's, you're looking at me like I'm an evil person, and you're probably right. So I asked, I asked the church, how many of you think about spending your parents' inheritance? Raise your hand. And my son in the front row, he's about 30 years old, 25 years old, he raises his hand. And I said, you're getting nothing. Um, and it's just so funny, it's just a human reality. We think about the future and inheritance. Well, we are heirs of God. But look what it says there. Fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So what is this inheritance? We are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, because I'm a child of God because of Jesus. So what exactly is this inheritance? What does it entail? Well, that last verse sets us up for verse 18, which is next week. But notice it says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So two aspects of the inheritance are suffering and glorification, which is described in the next paragraph. Our sufferings are not to be compared to the glory that is to come. And what is the glory that is to come? The resurrection from the dead. So if we are in Christ, we get what Christ gets. And folks, we want to focus on the resurrection and the good things. But if you're in Christ... Suffering is part of the calling. And that's next week's message. But what I want to do, since this was a shortened message, which I actually pulled off, there was doubt on staff if I could do this. I haven't pulled it off yet. I, see. <laughs> um, I want us to look at First Peter chapter 1, because there Peter talks about our inheritance too. And I want you to... to Put on your imagination cap of what this possibly could be. And whatever you can imagine. Um, my friend Dan Frank, who was the pastor at Grace Church in Reno, he said, heaven, glory, th that the post-resurrection life with Jesus is not your greatest imagination. Heaven is God's greatest imagination. And that is unbelievable. Because his imagination... Um, clearly is way beyond mind. So listen to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, as he talks about our inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says the same thing. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here he's talking about a salvation you don't have yet. A salvation has yet to come to you, which is the resurrection. But look at that description. An inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So I can tell you that my mother passed away in 2002. My father passed away in 2008. I was the executor of the estate, and the estate was eventually distributed in 2010. And it wasn't a big estate, but I got a chunk of money, and guess what? It's all gone. It faded away. It was perishable. It was defiled. What God has for us will never fade away, will never be defiled, and is imperishable. It will last for eternity. So as we'll see next week, that suffering that comes with being an heir with Christ will be delivered by the resurrection. And on that day when Christ raises his church from the dead, and whatever that looks like, all the timing of that, I don't claim to understand. We will receive an inheritance that is God's greatest imagination, not mine. It'll be something totally undeserved, but something God wants to lavish upon his children that will last eternity. This is, folks, where you just put that sanctified imagination into play and understand you all fall short of figuring it out. Our God's going to be incredible. So today then, let's wrap this up. What's your identity? You've gone from enemy to child of God. You've been empowered by the Spirit to win the battle against temptation and sin. Uh, please understand me. If, you, if you've been in my service as much, you know I never talk about the fact that what's called entire sanctification. I'll never struggle with sin again. That's not what I believe. I struggle with sin every single day. The question is, has God empowered me to be a victor? Has God empowered me to be an overcomer? And the answer is, absolutely yes. So it's a battle every single day to live the life he's called me to live. But he's commissioned me with a purpose too. With this salvation comes a new purpose. Prior to that, when I was his enemy, my purpose was me. Now, what is the greatest commandment? We did this last week. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see the greatest commandment, Jesus says. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So what is my new identity? I belong to Jesus. I am a people who, uh, um, Titus 2.14, we are a people for Christ's own possession who are zealous for good deeds. This is now the setup to take you from your new identity. It's not just forgiven. It's empowered by the Spirit of God to be a child of God and to be a servant of others, just like Jesus was. So this is where we get this great opportunity to learn opportunities to carry out our new identity through our ministry tables in the back. You wondered how I was going to get there, didn't you? This is not a burden. This is, this is what we're called to do, to serve one another. It's supposed to be joy. Jesus came, and it was his joy to serve us and give his life for us. And he's made us to be like him, where we now have a joy 
to serve one another. So I'm going to pray in just a moment. I want you to understand, we have tables in the back that cover most of the ministries of the church. Back in that corner is our youth ministry, and Gabe will be back there with some of his volunteers. And, and so find out how you can help with our middle school and high school. Deborah, is your table back there too? And Deborah's, Deborah's in the corner over there, our kids' ministry over in the corner over there. So f- from, from babies up through fifth grade, opportunities to serve. And by the way, if you, if you say, you know, I'm, children really aren't my thing. There's many ways to serve both high school, middle school, and children that aren't specifically directed at being with them. They have lots of opportunities where you can help them be prepared to serve. Next to that is, is the worship ministry. And understand the worship ministry needs more than musicians. I gotta read to you what Elena wrote me. She had to write it down because she knew I'd mess it up. It's too small a font, Elena. It's just not music ministry we need help with. There's much behind the scenes um, that goes on. Camera, slides, sound, that are fundamental to providing a space where people encounter Christ. And if you say, you know what, I don't know how to do those things, they're going to train you to do them. So there's more things in the worship ministry than playing instruments or singing. There's all the tech industry back there that, that they'll train you to do. Then we have women's ministry. And, and Dell is back there with women's ministry. And women's ministry has a list of things they do for the people of this church. Opportunities both for you to grow in Christ and to serve others. So go talk to Dell. Back here then we have the prayer chain. Heike has the prayer chain. We have just about 30 people on the prayer chain. I'd love to see that double and triple this weekend, of people who get prayer requests all week long to pray for people in the church. If you, if you were on the prayer chain, you'd have understood all the things that we just learned about, um, about Maddie. Over there then is we have our missions table where Bev is back there to learn more about missions and how we can be involved. And lastly is the um, greeter and ushers table. So those are the multiple things we do in this church that you guys, please don't leave here. I ended a sermon early. Go back and talk to these people. And I realize social distancing, give people a chance if there's too many people at a table, give them a chance to walk on and then we can, um, you can talk to them. So are you with me on that? All right, let's, let's pray about living out our new purpose. God, thank you for who you've made us to be. Spirit-led people, people who understand what it means to put to death the deeds of the body so that we can live a life you've saved us to live, a life that has victory. We're overcomers. and We are not helpless. We are not victims. Help us change our attitude, Father, to grasp who we are and then this new purpose of serving one another. Give us a passion for that as Christ had. Thank you, Father. For your word, for the opportunity, I thank you for everyone in this room. And um, we trust these last few songs you deeply, deeply honor. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand up. We'll sing a few more songs.
okay? Romans and Galatians both say we're child of God, we're children of God. We cry out, Abba, Father. In the Romans passage where it says, Abba, Father, we cry that out. That's where it says that Christ is being formed in you. So as a Christian, we grow each day where Jesus' character, his heart, his motives, his desires, his holiness is being formed in me and formed in you. And Jesus was the perfect child of God. And so the passion of Jesus in me cries out, Abba, Father. And, and that's what it means to have this passion as God our Father. Because Christ loved his Father and wanted to do, obey his Father. All that's given to us. So to sing this last song, remember who you are. And keep that in your mind all week, because next week we get into crying out, Abba, Father, in the midst of pain. So, Elena, let's do one more song.
we hope you guys have a great rest of your week and we will see you next Sunday.